American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy, don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Guys, welcome back to the Ensigns Podcast. Today, we are sitting down with writer entrepreneur, adventurer, Roger Thompson. We got connected with Roger through a mutual friend down in the state of Oklahoma and read his book, We Stood Upon Stars, and was immediately drawn in by his profound relationship with the American West and by his ability to relate with men over time. So Yeah, we're really excited to be picking his brain on adventure for someone who has just lived this in a way that goes beyond any kind of hashtag on Instagram or idea that might come to mind. So I think you guys will enjoy his wealth of knowledge. Roger, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on. So we've had lots of folks call in or us call them. I don't know that we've had somebody dial in from a beach before, though. That feels very appropriate for today's conversation. Yeah, could you just describe where are you exactly right now? I'm at one of my favorite surf spots. I live in Ventura, California, and I work out of a restored VW van. I've got um, two of them, actually, but the one I work out of is an 86 Westfalia camper van. Um, and so it becomes my mobile office and surf caddy, surfboard caddy. And so today I'm at uh, one of my favorite surf spots just north of Ventura. It's perfect. Doesn't sound bad. I might be. Is it red? Is it the camper van on the cover of We Stood Upon Stars? Is my next question. It is. It, it is the camper van. However, um, it's actually silver. They photoshopped the camper van red because the salespeople decided that my van had to be red. They actually sent me a, a file that called it the van of many colors. And it was great because I got to see my van in about 12 different colors. Um, <laughs> So if I ever wanted to paint it a different color, now I've got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that so visualizes. Nothing like yeah. someone <laughs> telling you your car isn't sexy enough, though. You know that that always know, feels right? good. Yeah, yeah. They also, they made yeah, your beard I, I, five I, inches longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had some words for them for sure. Well, the beach and the van are the perfect starting place. Partly, we uh, became aware of you through your book. We stood upon stars. One of the things that stands out and one of the things that sort of captured our attention was the relationship with the American West that's reflected in your writing and in the maps and in all kinds of territory we can jump into. Where did your relationship with the American West begin? Just the start of the adventure life. Where was it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, I'd say I come by honestly. Um, my grandfather and actually even great-grandfather, they, they were all kind of products of the West. Um, and so I grew up in an, an environment where 
I was raised, I lost my father in early age. I was raised partly by my grandfather and he has all these incredible stories about travels throughout the West. And so as a kid, I kind of have this image of the West. Um, and then, you know, as soon as I pretty much the same day I got my license by 16, I was already on the road and I just had this love affair with exploring, um, you know, all over really, but particularly the West, there's something about the West that just kind of captured me, the possibilities, the kind of the grandness and vastness of it all is a place where I could kind of find those parts of me that I, you know, that often get lost with the business of world. I can still find them in the quiet places of the West. Um, so I don't know, there's something that just about, like I said, just the, the, this is the bigness of it all. Um, and I live in the farthest, farthest reaches of the West on the, you know, on the shores of the Pacific ocean. Um, and so kind of from here, you, you, you already feel like you're a little on the edge of the world. Uh, and I just like that feeling a lot. This might be sort of answered by definition where you grew up, but what is the first place that you feel like you knew well? Yeah, honestly, it, well, certainly where I grew up, obviously, but um, I've, I've always been in love with Montana. And I knew it first as just an idea. Um, in kind of high school and college, I'd studied maps of Montana and there was something about it. I, I'd never been there. I went once with my grandfather. We went up to you know Yellowstone and explored some of that area, which was more, you know, Wyoming, but we get to Montana some. But there's something about it that I thought. I don't know. So it's 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 hard to explain because it's. I felt like I knew it before I ever went there, but I just knew the feeling. And as soon as I got out of college, I was my first. I think for the first week out of college, I loaded up my truck and drove to Montana, and I spent that summer up there. And I've been going almost every summer since. Um, but yeah, there's just something about that that I felt like I knew. As I've gotten to know the you know the geography and the highways up there, it's kind of already known in my heart in some way, and those things all kind of fell into place of just the way I thought that they might. Okay, so totally relate to that. Totally relate to rolling into places and and feeling like you have already been there or it's a, it's a long lost friend that you didn't realize had mm. been lost. I love that. I'm curious, many people can probably put words to a similar experience of the wilderness of loving wild places of, of vast places. But for most people that becomes uh, worth doing maybe once a year, maybe once every couple of years. Um, mm. Why does it feel like a more, serious more, more something that was worth giving so much of your life to to exploring these places to to spending time in these places what, like it seems like you've just been dialed up several notches more than the average person and i'm curious why what what's driving that you know some of that is probably from you know a kid obviously growing up surfing and being in the ocean all the time which is a pretty wild place and then my grandparents had a cabin up near Yosemite and so I used to you know explore all that area um, I used to ride motorcycles all through Yosemite into the mountains there and so there's all always always some of that in me but I think where I got really serious about it was when you start when I came out of college and I was kind of entering into my 20s and there was all this pressure of the things that I was supposed to become um, I was supposed to you know enter the workforce or I was supposed to you know get married I was supposed to do all these things it felt a lot like what they call settling down and none of that really felt 
like my skin to me. Um, and I just couldn't accept the fact that that was going to be my reality. Um, you know, there's just something about that just didn't feel true to me. Mm-hmm. And so I started leaning in probably more into the wilderness a, a, a little bit to kind of find out how do I live a life that's more true to that than whatever the world or the church or anybody else is telling me that I have to live like. Um, and so some of it was maybe even a little bit of rebellion, like, all right, well, if I'm going to, you know, grow up and do whatever I'm going to do in life, it's going to be in concert with these places. Um, you know, that felt so much like home to me. So even when we first got married, the first thing we did uh, within six months of getting married is like quit one of my businesses. And we went on the road for uh, a couple months exploring the West. And I wanted to cement our marriage into that idea of exploration in the West. And so, yeah, I don't know if I get getting exactly what your, your question was, but yeah, you know, I just knew from an early age that there was going to be a part of who I was, and I just couldn't abandon that part of myself in any way. Mm, that's good. I'm curious, you're writing your work, maps, etc., as you've been saying, all reflect a developed, an intentionally developed knowledge of places, at what point do you think that you know a place or do you begin to identify a friendship with a place? And are there sort of stages? You talked about Montana started with looking at maps and then it's a road trip. And then, like, what are the characteristic features of your relational development with a spot? Gosh, I love I love that question because it really places to me. I think you mentioned earlier they, they they are a little bit like friendships, and so that first road trip I took to Montana, I ended up in a place called Rock Creek, um, and I was fly fishing on on the creek. And there was a moment where a mama moose and her cub walked into the water with me, and I just felt kind of in unison with that. And there was something okay because that was like the beginning of a friendship kind of like hey we're going to get to know each other a little bit but then as i stayed there was also the all the elements of the relationship came into play there was fear at night because i didn't know to think about bears back then i still don't know to think about bears um but there was this fear element and so if i might give myself into this place i have to kind of um allow myself to be scared a little bit and in that and then and in that fear a part of myself gets revealed and so I had to kind of come to grips with that. There was kind of great joy that came like in that moment in the river when you look into a, a wild trout. Um, there was something about me that got reflected in that moment. And so that place was like a person who was kind of calling out different parts of myself. And, and I'd probably say, just like in my marriage, these things are continually revealed over time. They just deepen. Um, it's almost an infinite amount of interactions you can have with a place. And for me, they continually draw out, you know, parts of myself now that I've been going up to the same spot for, you know, 20 some years. Um, some of that is very familiar, but still every time I go, there's a part that gets a, a new part of me that gets revealed. And it's like a good friend who would call you out on something, you know, like, uh, if I, if I go up there and I'm sweating something, maybe about work and like a good friend, they'll say, Hey, calm down. Your work's not that important. This is important. You know, be in this moment be with your wife and kids in this moment. And the place would almost do that for me. That sounds, I don't know if I want to over-personify a place, but 
I think that's kind of a, almost a spiritual connection that really historically people have had with the West. You know, I'm certainly not the first um, that dates back to the first inhabitants of the West. I, I, again, I love this because when most people think of adventure, I think we're in the day and age of give me the next thing, give me something fresh, give me something different. Um, and so the idea of revisiting a place over and over again and learning it, I mean, it really does become a relationship and these, this analogy of a friend and all of the, the characteristics that come good and bad with a relationship feels really weighty in a way that going somewhere, taking a picture and rolling on doesn't. It feels like there's a, an effect on your life and on your your personality, your personhood, your set of values that just doesn't, it doesn't impossible if it's short and right. you're on to the next thing. Um, I, I'm curious if you have seen some things change, some, some values, some ways of looking at things that have grown and shaped the way that you see now after decades of, of doing this and making those, those choices to revisit and to know what are ways that maybe the 20 year old you was just learning how to see and the, the current you has had all these miles now sees. Yeah. I think that, you know, in, in your twenties, and this is probably the, I mean, I think this is kind of man's natural progression to some degree, but in my twenties, there was a little bit more of a, the feeling I had to prove myself or conquer some element of the wild to be a man in some way. Um, you know, I had to, if there was something, if a river I had to cross it, if there was a mountain I had to climb it, you know, those, those kinds of things. If there was a fish, I had to catch every single fish in the river. Um, and as I've aged, I found that, that those parts of me have really mellowed out and probably thanks, thankfully to those, those places, um, they've kind of worn off those kind of rough edges because that's not a true tale of masculinity at all. Um, and so now that I see more of the poetry of those places, um, and as I've, you know, like I said, as I've aged, you know, part of it is you, you just naturally, I think, slow down a little bit. And, you know, I'm not going to do some of the same physical things I did in my 20s. However, mentally and spiritually, I'm going to depths of these places that, are, that I never thought, I, you know, I never could have imagined in my 20s. And the result of that, and I hope this is the case for the rest of my life, is a deepening piece of understanding how I fit into this world and kind of my place and purpose in it. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, like I so said, hopefully for the rest of kind of my journey into these places and, and you know, new and old, that I will continue to understand and live more in that piece. Boom. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm so I'm gonna catch every single fish in the Arkansas River this summer. So <clears throat> yeah, good luck with that. But I'll let you know when I've done that. Obviously we're asking uh -huh. a lot of questions about adventure <laughs> and there are other topics that we're curious about, but first, still in the adventure category, because we do think that adventure is key in the life of the masculine soul and Many of our friends and many of our listeners and subscribers are sort of scattered across middle America and or environments where adventure seems inaccessible. 
I'll talk to a buddy on the phone who, at some point, the fact that I happen to live in Colorado where you can climb mountains will come up. And it's interesting because part of me goes, you don't need a mountain to have adventure. You don't need to have a mountain to have a wilderness-shaped soul. And then part of me goes, yeah, but man, the mountains do something that nothing else will do for you. Like when I drove through West Texas recently... I had a sense of just vertigo of the unchanging time grinding to a halt. Great Plains. I actually, I was, it's the only time I've ever had car sickness. I was dizzy in the passenger seat. But my, so my question, if you can feel it in there, is let's say there's a young guy, 22 years old, and he is in the middle of the South Dakota and mm-hmm. not highly mobile. What are the kinds of things that you like would advise develop or nourish a person's need for wilderness and wildness? And then what mm-hmm. are the kinds of, you know, alongside that, how vital is it to jump in your truck and just decide to start going somewhere on a regular basis? Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, certainly where you guys live and where I live, we're, we're, we're fortunate in the topography around us. And, uh, you know, I don't take that for granted. Um, but I would say that that adventure in the, in the sense of this, you know, when, when God, the first, his, you know, his first act was to create this space for us. Right. And so there's something about his voice that echoes in all the wild places. And it doesn't have to be the ocean where I'm at or the mountains where you're at. But it's it's not inside of a building, which is your house or your work or your church or anything like that. It's going to be someplace out there where I think that the echoes of his voice will will be a little more uh, clear. And so I do think that there's a part of adventure that's woven deep into our soul. But in saying that, I will also say that we've got, in some ways, the definition of adventure as wrong as our definitions of masculinity because adventure doesn't have to be, or I don't think it even is, um, this physical feat of having to, like we said earlier, you know, climb a huge mountain in Colorado or surf a wave out here in California. Um, that's not that those are fun and all the rest, but those aren't like to me, the true adventure, the true adventure is the intimacy with the place to where in the quietness, you know, of, of those, those spaces that you hear a voice that you recognize, um, you know, and maybe recognize it for the first time or a voice that you recognize as being something true that you haven't heard or listened to in a long time. But to me, it's in the, the, the adventure is in that intimacy more so than the, um, physical conquest of something. So in that case, I believe no matter where you are, I've actually had some very phenomenal moments in South Dakota, believe it or not, um, where the sunset just seems to go on forever, where the colors just kind of spill into the earth and travel in a way that is, you know, indescribable. And in those moments in South Dakota specifically, I've felt something that I've not felt in Colorado or California. And that was a a very, as as a big moment of adventure for my heart, at least. Maybe not for my legs, but certainly for my heart. I'm just going to say what you said back to you to make sure I'm getting this right. So what you're saying is 
an adventure isn't necessarily is not an adventure is not an achievement in the way that we would frame it a conquest an adventure is instead an intimate encounter with a place and maybe with god speaking through a place is that yes a representative definition of adventure wow i i think so and 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 within that definition that gives a lot of latitude for adventure T- today's my my wife's 20th anniversary and congratulations the greatest adventure thank you yeah the, the greatest adventure i've had has been in real intimate moments with her and i'm not ever going to conquest her or achieve her or any of those things but yet you know when we open a bottle of wine at the sunset and you know and and have a conversation about something that, that is important or not have a conversation at all you know, to me, that's a moment of intimate spiritual adventure with my wife that is all of all of the adventure, and I would say more than, you know, climbing Everest. Well, you know, that might be pushing it, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It's, it, there's something to that for sure. Well, I, we're inclined to agree with you. Um, uh, there's a part in the the film 180 Degrees South where Yvonne Chouinard's talking about people basically buying their way up Everest, and he's got the great mm-hmm. quote of, "You're an asshole when you started, and you're an asshole when you get back." And it, it's <laughs> right. it sure looks like an adventure, but the the kind of deep soulful interaction and change with a place and yourself that you're describing that that can mm-hmm. really happen anywhere as you're naming. Like that's I love the invitation there because it does. As Blaine is saying, we do feel like we need the thing that is photo worthy or accomplishment worthy in order for it to be like a legitimate adventure or lifestyle that's worth talking about. And I love the pushback right. of like, oh, guys, that, that sounds a little young buck like that sounds a little charge every yeah. mountain, like simmer down and be present. Well, yeah. And that's part of it, too, because the, the, what that allows guys to do is to cop out and not live a life of adventure because of their right. geography. Right. You know, and, and then live a shallow life that does, you know, doesn't smell of adventure at all. And then they, the end result of that is not good. And so, um, so guys are kind of saying, Hey, I don't live, I live in some place where it's flat and therefore I can't live life of adventure. Then I'd say that's bullshit. Like you got to find a way to, to live, push into, what is that? What drives fear in you? What drives adrenaline? What drives what drives these things? And it could be in a relationship. It could be in a moment staring at the stars in a you know out back in your backyard. But it, it is, you got to find it in those those kinds of places for sure. Yeah, so good. A little bit of a corner turn. Sometimes I try to make the transitions gradual, but today no. I know that. In addition to being a writer and serial adventurer, you've also been, you also are, an entrepreneur and have done some sort of fascinating things. Largest indoor skate park, if I'm not mistaken, and, uh, uh, you know, skate or surf companies. And yet, I know from a conversation you and I had in anticipation of this conversation that you early on decided you weren't going to view money as an end game. It wasn't going to be the target right. in and of itself. So mm-hmm. if that was the case, 
why have you started the businesses you started and what does motivate you? <laughs> well, those, I mean, I started a lot of them because they were just a blast. And the skate park, that was my first real big business. I, I started a surf clothing company when I was in college um, and I'd done okay. We got to be, you know, kind of a regional surf line in kind of central coast California. Um, and that kind of, as I developed, we found the opportunity to um, develop the skate park. And I was doing it with my best friend. And part of what that was, was not to overuse the word, but that was kind of like this big adventure with me and my best friend. Like, what can we create together that would bring kind of this joy and pleasure to others? And honestly, in a little way, in some ways, we kind of were also reverse engineering a lifestyle that we wanted to live. Um, and so and I write about some of that in the first book too, the, my best friend's funeral, um, cause his, my partner in that skate park was the funeral that I talked about there, but I, and I don't know how I did this because I know a lot of guys really struggle with this early on because all of our benchmarks of success are pretty well documented around financial or political success, or even within the ministry being on a stage of some sort. Um, and for some reason, from a very early stage, none of that really was attractive to me. And I don't know how I got that, um, because there wasn't any models in my life of any of those things, I guess. But, um, but what, what did feel like success to me was being able to surf when I wanted to surf with my best friend or, you know, take my wife or back then girlfriend, you know, down to the beach and do something or go on and, you know, go fishing, like kind of live the life that really brought me great joy and I knew that for me at least doing that in a traditional work environment wasn't gonna work and and so I, I kind of pick and choose or I, I guess that's what I say pick and choose or chose things made career decisions that weren't always about a financial end game but were more about a lifestyle end game in a relationship end game you know how do I maximize time with the people that I like the most doing the things I love the most. That's always been what's kind of motivated me and at certain seasons that included, you know, launching these businesses. Um, and those were largely around the people I was with, you know, in certain seasons. Now I'm in a season where it's more writing and more reflective work. Um, but the thread through all of that is starting with this idea of the life I wanted to live and figure out how to accomplish that through work versus letting work kind of become the thing that defines my life. Okay, so we use words like entrepreneur and the startup businesses, and a particular person comes to mind, and I cannot separate that person from the guy that does want the success, the money, not necessarily the lifestyle, unless it's what the money can then buy. Um, and so it really does land in the money category. I know... There's right. a lot of guys out there that do want to be creating things for the sake of creating the thing rather than what it's going to do for them. But like the how, like how did you learn those entrepreneurial skills? Were you a closet like business major and then you also loved adventure or was this something that you <laughs> developed and learned? And I mean, I feel like I'm afraid that that's the answer because that that feels like the accurate thing, but I'm curious what it was like for you. Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess that's some of that's true. I mean, I think probably I, I've obviously had 
um, some gifting to create things and find find ways to see them come to light. I've seen lots of different projects happen as a result of my work, and that's really exciting. Um, I, you know, I will say, and this is maybe the exact question you're asking, but I heard kind of a how thing, because I mean, this is something I get asked a lot too, is from a very practical standpoint, you know, I live in, in a place that's one of the highest cost of living in places in the country, and, you know, and there's a lot of questions around how do you afford to do all this, because most guys will say, well, I can't afford to, to live the way you live because I've got a mortgage and this and that. And, well, say, not and not to... to undermine that question, but my wife and I made a decision very early on of the things that we could live without. You know, there was a long list of things that my, I had other friends that wanted to acquire, and we kind of created a list of things that we could live without. Um, and there was moments when, you know, because when you're working, it's, it's a time and money equation. Um, so you have to put in a certain amount of time to receive a certain amount of money and what we found is we had a number in mind that we could live off of because we lived in a super modest house and we have, our, you know, most of the stuff that we do doesn't cost anything that we enjoy surfing and, you know, so forth. There's a little bit of initiation cost to get bored and wetsuit, but after that's free. So most of the stuff we enjoyed didn't cost anything. So we kept our number the same for most of our, it's not much more now than it was in my twenties. Um, and, and so every time there was an opportunity to make more money or make less time, you know, because as you age, you naturally start making more money per hour or whatever, is whenever that would happen, we would make decisions to actually work less um, instead of work the same amount and make more. We would work less and make the same. And over time, what happened is we had a margin of availability for this lifestyle. Um so anyways, that, that, that's a hugely practical kind of answer to a question you may not have even been asking. Oh, yeah. But that's, but that's definitely something. When I think about like your age or maybe the age of some of your listeners, so, you, know, you will be, for your professional life, you're going to come up against decisions mm-hmm. to sell a little bit more of your soul or time or whatever to something. And it's a hard decision to say no to, but the more you can kind of say no to those things, the more the, the parts of your life that are most meaningful to you will open up. So that conversation with your wife, was it like a romantic one? You're like, hey, babe, let's sit down. I want to talk about all the things that you'd never want to have in your future. <laughs> that's just not one right. I've had with my wife yet. And I feel like it would be really helpful, but it's one that seems a little, I don't know, I don't know uncomfortable probably. <laughs> and then yeah, very, very helpful. Like yeah, I obviously picked a real, <laughs> I made a good choice with my wife, um, because we were literally married for probably, like I said, probably less than four months or something like that, when I came home and said, you know what, I'm going to walk away from the skate park, um, I don't need to do that anymore, and we're going we're gonna to just go on the road for a while, you know, and so every thought that she had of, like, stability and a husband, or, you know, or, you know, stable finances. I, I, I couldn't answer any of that stuff. I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe I don't know what's going to happen financially. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that if we don't take this time together now, we're going to regret that. Um, and so she was just, so all I have to say is my wife is unique and special uh, in the way that she kind of come along for the adventure. And that conversation, I think, is 
become more romantic in my mind over time. I'm sure at the stage you're at, having that conversation with your wife is probably a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's probably a little uncomfortable for me back then too. But, um, but I think it's an important one to sit down and go, all right, what do we really need? And what's more important to us? It's a value thing where you get to establish a set of values together to say, you know, do we want some more stuff? Do we want a bigger house? Are we comfortable, you know, living in the house to where that we're in now and have a little more time to go do other things? You know, those are, and it's not the same for everybody. So my answer isn't the right answer for everybody else either. There's some people that those things will bring them some level of joy perhaps. And, you know, and they probably shouldn't go live in their van for a while. And it's huge. I actually was a party, more of a witness to a conversation recently where one friend told another that his entire framework for evaluating risk was bullshit because he didn't understand what was valuable. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that friendships build to the point where that kind of thing is okay. But it was around business and it was around risk and it was around finances. And it was the same thing of, you know, it's really easy to mess up our like hierarchy of values and go, you know what? Security through income is valuable. Reliability is valuable and go, all that is very replaceable. Your relationship with your wife, if you're married, your own heart, your ability to feel joy, those things are actually, if those are at risk, then lose the finances, privilege the life of your heart. Uh, And yet to varying degrees, that can be extremely difficult to actually, I mean, even talking personally, it's a, it's like a monthly thing and it tends to be, and you know, talking in the money category, I have a monthly ritual where I balance our budget, slide deeply into fear and a feeling of ineptitude and, and then begin like a 24 hour recovery period where God has to come in and actually like re-instruct my heart in what is valuable and kind of go, uh-huh. how is your marriage? How is your daughter? Right. How are your friendships? There is nothing else to talk about. And go, are you mm-hmm. sure? You mentioned early in the conversation that your dad was out of the picture early. And yet yeah. you were able or, you know, you ended up participating in the development of your masculine soul, like the masculine journey still unfolded. What allowed Mm -hmm. you, what happened to make that possible when I think for, um, you know, 99% of my peers, some of them, their dad might still be living and yet he's so checked out or he just doesn't care or he can't be asked about the life of the heart that for guys who are in their 20s, uh, there is a shared orphan experience that feels inhibiting of receiving the masculine journey. Mm-hmm. So what allowed you, what happened uh, that like set you on a path that resulted in Knowing how to fly fish, knowing how to raise sons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah, that's a good question because 
you know, I didn't have any of that, you know, um, growing up and, and my growing up years were pretty rough. And, and so a, a lot of, well, I, that wasn't a question about that, but, um, as I started kind of stepping into my kind of masculinity, I guess, in my, in particular in my young twenties, I had this huge kind of hole that I knew that was in my soul because I didn't, and I didn't know how to describe it then. I didn't have language for it then. There wasn't people talking about it then. Um, and, and so I, I didn't know what that was, but I knew that it was going to crush me if I didn't figure something out. And, and what that was, I had to figure out, you know, ultimately became, you know, how do I figure out how to become a man without ever having a blueprint for one, um, you know, or, or also looking to the world a little bit and going and seeing, man, they don't seem to have a right either. <laughs> you know? And so some of that probably is what is probably wrapped up in some of that wilderness discussion we had earlier, which was, you know, I had to go places perhaps to find out what those things were for me. Um, but, and I didn't, I wasn't thinking at that time, like that someday I'm going to have some sons. I need to figure this out so I can pass it on to my own sons. I just needed at that point just to figure it out for myself to figure out how I could be okay with myself in a world that kind of told me I wasn't okay. Um, so that's a tough way to go through life is feeling inadequate or inept um, or somehow like you don't really fit into any of the structures that we've kind of created. I didn't fit into obviously, a, you know, the work life thing. I didn't fit in that, but probably more importantly, I didn't really fit into as I, I came to, I came to faith late in my teens and, I didn't fit into the faith structures that, you know, that were, that I had access to. Um, so anyway, so I, I had to kind of figure that out. Like, well, how am I going to exist in this world? Um, Cause if not, then my path would probably be like my dad's, his, his demise was through drug abuse. And so I knew that path already. And so, you know, and maybe some ways that was a little bit of a, you know, an opportunity to say, okay, well, I, I know this extreme goes this, this, you know, fork in this road goes this way and I can't go down that path. This other path, I don't know where it leads, but I got to figure it out. So I don't know if that answers it or not, but I think that's probably part of it. Not having dad's probably what stoked a lot of the need to figure that out. Man, it reminds me of another Yvonne Chouinard line where he says, Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all, but we just went for it. There was something in us that we just went for it. And I mm-hmm. sort of hear that in your venturing out into the West, where it kind of goes, start adventuring unto encounter, if I'm using your definition of adventure again. And mm-hmm. you find yourself in the space of discovery with God. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of what I hear that I would say to a 23, 24, 25-year-old friend would kind of be, where do you feel invited to go for it? And yes, you need to receive the fathering of God. And you might have to go for it first. Is that reflective of your experience at all? I'd say yes, for sure. I had to take some steps uh, early on and I was met in those places, but like any, you know, any hero's journey begins with taking a step. You gotta, you gotta do that. Hmm. So in your story, you've heard a lot of, of your journey 
the language does feel very solitary though you have talked about the the ways that you and you your wife have stepped into these waters together and the foundation you wanted to lay there i know that for young guys myself included the feeling of loneliness can be kind of perpetual mm-hmm. um and a longing to share adventures and share spaces with others, share endeavors with others, as in the skate park that you've talked about. Um, what's been, and this is a pretty broad question here, but what's been your relationship with others, with friendship in these spaces? You know, my life is, is, is probably cuts both ways with this because, um, I probably the biggest success in my life and, and uh, now I'm going to think if this is true. I think it is true, but I think probably one of the biggest parts of success of my life is I've had incredible male friendships really since um, my early, you know, teen years and some of my teenage friends I'm still, still friends with. Um, and some of those were cut when I was, you know, before I knew anything about faith, you know, my, my beach town is a pretty rough beach town. And these were the guys I used to, you know, get in the fights with. And they're the ones that literally had your back in a fight and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so you kind of grew up with needing, you know, in, in those days, meeting some guys, otherwise you were going to get beat up all the time. And so I knew that I needed those friendships. And as I got older, the, the consequences of life get much stronger. You don't get up being beat up physically is, that's not really a big deal getting beat up emotionally and spiritually. That's where the hard fight, the hardest fights are. And so I knew that I also needed men in my life during that. And I've been fortunate that, you know, I've got a buddy Clint that I've known since middle school and we're still super close. And he's still a guy I can contact at any point uh, of what's going on in my life. And oftentimes he's contacting me asking what's going on, even when I don't want to tell him. Um, but you know, but that's been critically important. So I would say there's that, but I would also say this, that I've had to get really comfortable being alone because it's in our aloneness where the real part of darknesses we face within ourselves comes to light some, and we need to understand what those things are because I've obviously spent a lot of time solo in the woods and all that. I've spent a ton of time with friends in the woods too. So I don't want to, pretend like I'm some like solo charger, but I will say those alone times and, and understanding truly who I am, who God's getting comfortable with who God's made me to be, getting comfortable with who, who I'm not, um, coming to grips with those things has actually allowed me to be a much better friend, a much better husband, a much better father. Um, you know, and so I'd say for me, those are, those are two equally important things. There's one is to, to, to have the solo moments and be, in a, a right relationship with yourself. Mm. And then two, have, you know, friends that, that will, you know, that you can do anything with. And those friends get developed for me. Those friends were developed on some of these rivers we're talking about and, and surfing and doing these kinds of things together. Um, so, so I kind of, you know, I kind of need both, but, but I would definitely say that, I think probably the greatest success in my life, but there's the greatest reason for success in my life has been every step along the way. There's been a buddy who's been available either to bail me out of something or to push me into something. And it's so good, man. So 
a follow-up question, and there's two ways to answer it. Let's say young guy, curious about his friendships, has some, but just wants to build his own relational skill. I'm curious what mm-hmm. you would tell yourself in your 20s about your friendships. Uh, so that's one way. You can either answer this by going, what would you tell yourself in your 20s about friendships? Mm-hmm. Or you can sort of do uh, tell people what not to do. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know what? For sure don't blank if you want right. deep friendships. Right. Well... I'd say for sure, don't try to go it alone. So you absolutely need to have somebody in your corner. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's part luck or part whatever. My my best friend who I grew up with uh, and when I wrote about in my first book, he also did, his, his father was around, but his father was kind of what you described earlier, was absent uh, during those stages of his life, was a raging alcoholic. And so we were two fatherless boys basically trying to figure out how to raise one another. Um, and what we learned pretty quick or what I learned pretty quick is, you know, you have to be, even in my twenties, I knew this, you have to be willing to be, I guess the language we would say now is going to be kind of authentic or, or reveal who you truly are. Um, because if you can't do that, you won't be able to form a lifelong relationship with anybody. And so in my twenties, and that's kind of the time when, you know, guys are kind of flexing the most in their life, you know, because they just feel like they got something to prove. And so it's harder to be vulnerable is what I was looking for. It's harder to be vulnerable there. Um, man, in my twenties, I cried more with my buddies than I probably have another, any other time in my life. Um, you know, because you go through some serious shit in your twenties and you have to make big decisions and all this stuff's happening and you're not really prepared for any of it. And if you can't be vulnerable as to tell that to another guy, then, you know, I'd at least go get a six pack of beer. Maybe that would help, you know, but you got, you got to find a way to get there. Mm. Yep. Okay. Just a couple specifics relating to the American West. Uh, and uh-huh. I can kind of give these rapid fire to you. Somebody is near Ventura, California. What taco shop should they stop in? <laughs> Man, Ventura is hashtag blessed with the best tacos ever. Spencer McKenzie's is a fantastic one. Uh, Johnny's is the other. Spencer McKenzie's has these phenomenal fish tacos. They're just so unreal. And it's right by the pier in Ventura, so it's easy to find. There's actually um, a, a taco place, Taco Shack, right on our pier. So that's the easiest one to find. And one of my buddy's breweries is opening right across from it. There's going to be great beer and tacos on the pier in Ventura, so... If that's not a great invitation to come to Ventura, I don't know what is. Oh, my gosh. And just one other that location. <laughs> yeah. One other location. A bar anywhere in the American West. If a guy were to ask, I'm going I'm going to go on a road trip, but at some point I just want to swing in to a great bar. It can be in any of the Western states. Where would you send him? Um, man, I would, if you're hungry... A great bar in Montana is the Gravel Bar. I mean, obviously they're going there for beer, and they have great beer, and, and they have this selection of beer there. But the Gravel Bar in Ennis, Montana, probably has the best hamburger I've had in the West. Um, they make it with Wagyu beef. It's all locally raised there, so that's phenomenal. 
No, of course uh, it well, is. My favorite, yeah, my favorite brewery in the West is a little town called Phillipsburg, Montana. It's a town of maybe 800 people, and somehow they have the best. It's a little, you know, I, I, it's not even really a microbrew anymore. They're growing quite a bit. But my goodness, they, somehow they just have, they, they found the holy waters that make the best beer ever. Um, so I'd say that, Phillipsburg, Montana, Phillipsburg Brewery, um, for hamburger, gravel bar, and Ennis, Montana. Those are probably the, my favorites. See, you guys, you don't have to be like a killer fly fisherman to have a need to get to Montana right now. You can be a foodie, <laughs> right. you can, and you can, you've got a good reason. I'm sold. Yeah. Roger, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your surf time and entrepreneur and writing time to uh, jump on with us now. Do you have a current writing project? Are you working on a book? What what's next in the writing world for you? Yeah, I just turned in a book, and I've already started another. Um, but I'm doing kind of biographies of men I really kind of love and respect. And so, one I just started is a buddy of mine that lives on North Shore, Hawaii. He, he has the world record for the biggest wave ever paddled into. Um, and so, I'm going to tell his story. But you know, beyond just anybody who's kind of what you find is anybody who surfs the biggest waves in the world. They have an interesting life, and so you just can kind of know that. Um, but man, he does—he have a phenomenal life, and at every kind of turn in his life, he seems to have made the right kinds of choices to live this epic, epic life, and have with his beautiful wife and kids, and in relationship with the ocean and and God. And anyways, that one's—I've just started writing. I can't wait to dig deeper into it. Um, and the one I just finished was about a buddy of mine. Um, his name's Mark Stewart. He was the lead singer of a band called Audio Adrenaline. And oh, kind of yeah. At the peak of his, <laughs> yeah, at the, peak, at the peak of his career, he lost his voice. And some other kind of uh, rough things happened to him. And so here's a man who's having the tension of his life of having to sing on stage about something that he's really struggling with himself. Um, man, it's, it's good. So we just turned that book in. It's going to come out in November. Um, and it's going to be really, he's got a great life story and it's going to be a really good read. People are going to be really surprised if they only know him as the lead singer of that band. They're going to be really surprised at just how big of a life he's actually led. Does it have a title? That one's called Losing My Voice to Find It. Roger, thank you so much. It's been, yeah, it's been really good. And I know that our listeners are going to be looking forward to this next book coming out. And we wish you well in your future writing projects. I know that that can be quite an adventure in itself personally so thank you for today 